Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 14. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. It's so good to praise the Lord. God is so faithful, he sends the rain and news people, oh, we're all going to die from a drought. Oh, calm down. God is faithful. Amen. Revelation chapter 14, this book has a beautiful chronology. It's a great book. It's also a book that is greatly misunderstood because this book, you know, has a divine outline. That's right. You guys are like, Ronnie, please, man, you're killing me every single week. Don't you know how to open your sermons differently? No. I don't. Oh, I think it's important that you know and that you understand that Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, is the divine outline. This one verse outlines the entire book of Revelation. Now, John is told, matter of fact, I'd like for you to read it with me. John is told to what? Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Metatauta is the Greek word for after this. It's a simple three-section outline. The first section, John is told to write the things which he has seen. What has John seen? In the first section, chapter 1, John has seen the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ there in chapter 1. Jesus is risen. Jesus is glorified there in chapter 1. That's what John has seen. Which brings us to our second section, chapters 2 and 3. John is told to write the things which are, which are. Church history, the period that we are currently living in, is church history. Jesus gives seven messages to seven churches given in chronological order there in the second section. And then Paul talks about a time of the Gentiles, when the last Gentile is saved. Isn't that amazing? God knows who the last person is on the planet who will give their life to him. And at that point, we move into the third and the final section, the rapture of the church in chapter four. And then in chapter five, Jesus stands to take the title deed to the planet Earth, which brings us to chapter six. Six follows five, always has and always will. Chapter 6 through 19, we are in the period known as the Great Tribulation. 
This is the time of Jacob's trouble. This is the time when God, Jesus Christ, is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting, sinful world. The book of Revelation is very, very simple. It's easy. There's an easy, beautiful chronology. It's in this third and final section that we have been in over the last several weeks. The, the tribulation. We're halfway through the period known as the tribulation. The tribulation period lasts for seven years, and it's a time of unparalleled difficulty. Halfway through the tribulation at that three and a half year mark, the Antichrist walks in the newly rebuilt temple, and he puts an end to the temple sacrifices, and he demands to be worshipped as God. And at that time, a worldwide persecution of the Jews will break out. Many of the Jews will flee into the rock city of Petra, and the armies of the Antichrist will be in hot pursuit of God's people. But the earth helped God's people. How so? Because the earth opened up, and the armies of the Antichrist fell in, and the people of God made their way into the rock city of Petra. And it is there that they are tucked away for the last three and a half years. The Antichrist then turns his attention to killing the Jews in the world. And then the Antichrist is shot in the head and he receives a mortal wound, which kills him. He dies. And then he rises again and the whole world sees it. Now, I told you that Satan has his counterfeits. And what we see here is the Antichrist is shot in the head, he dies, and then he resurrects is a counterfeit mocking the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he rises again, and then his PR man, I like to call him, the false prophet, he made an image of the Antichrist, and it began to speak, and it began to breathe. And then everyone on the earth, we covered this last week in chapter 13, everyone on the earth was commanded to worship the image of the beast and receive a mark in their forehead and in their right hand. Now, as it is true sometime in the history of this church, I'll do a sermon that will generate a lot of discussion. And this whole thing of tattooing and the mark of the beast needless to say, generated a lot of discussion. I even went back there to check to see how many of you bought CDs and tapes of the service. Now, it was interesting to me, there was a whole lot of talk going on, but CD sales were down. <laughs> hmm. And when you take the mark, should you be here during the tribulation? I should hope that none here would be. But should you be, if you take the mark of the beast, you cannot be saved. That is the end. It is over. The mark, with the taking of the mark, you are proclaiming your total loyalty to the devil. We talked about that last week in chapter 13, which brings us to chapter 14. Here in chapter 14, there's a series of pronouncements and visions. The curtain of chapter 14 opens, understand, by jumping ahead to the second coming of Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to do so. Get your pen, get your pad, and write this in your Bible. Chapter 14 jumps ahead to the second coming of Jesus Christ, where we will see the Lamb of God, Jesus. 
standing on Mount Zion. Chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, if you're there, would you say a hearty amen? amen. Oh, you guys, that was so weak. Say amen. amen. Thank you. Chapter 14, verse 1, then I looked, John said, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, now we've seen them before, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. And they sang, as it were, underline this, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. These, in verse 4, are the ones who are not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. I love that. Hey, we should follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Amen. Being first fruits of God, they were redeemed to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth, verse 5, was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Stop right there. Give me your attention, if you will. Notice John says, I looked and I saw a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000, with God's name stamped on their foreheads. Did you see that? God's name stamped on their foreheads. Now, these 144,000 standing on Mount Zion, the scholars, people are debating, have always debated as to whether this Mount Zion is the heavenly Mount Zion or the earthly Mount Zion. You may or may not know. Mount Zion is the hill that the city of Jerusalem is built on. So scholars debate as to whether this is the heavenly Mount Zion or the earthly Mount Zion. I believe that this is probably the earthly Mount Zion, Jerusalem. Now notice we first met these 144,000 standing with the Lamb or with Jesus. We met this 144,000 Jewish, I like to call them Billy Grahams, in chapter 7. You might remember, and we identified them. And we pointed out that these are not 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses. You knew that. And these are not 144,000 Mormons. And these are not 144,000 Seventh day Adventists. These 144,000 are those of Calvary Chapel. Now, don't buy the CD and give it to Chuck Smith, because I will be in trouble. Oh, we pointed out from chapter 7, you know, the 144,000 were chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, 12,000 from each tribe. And they were sealed and set apart by the Lord with a special protection from the Lord. A special assignment was given them. 
during the tribulation period. Now, I think this is pretty fascinating. Isn't it interesting that there in chapter 7, we met this 144,000 Jewish believers. Here we are, fast forward through the tribulation, through the time of testing, through the time of, of a morally dark world, through this whole period, seven chapters later, in chapter 14, we meet the same 144,000 Jewish believers. Now, what does that tell us? Well, notice, I want you to know that notice there isn't 142,000. And there's not 143,000. And there's not 143,999 Jewish believers. Notice there's 144,000 Jewish believers here in chapter 14. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that God didn't lose one of them, even during the tribulation. God didn't lose one of them because God is faithful and God keeps his promises. All of God's promises are yes and amen. And God has kept them. And listen, God will keep you. God holds us Christians in the palm of his hand. He knows us. We often sing that song, he knows my name. He does know my name. And he's able to keep that which he is called. And here we see that these 144,000 are there. God is faithful. He keeps his promises. They're standing on Mount Zion. They are sealed with the Father's name written on their foreheads. They have the name of Yahweh. They're sealed with the name of Yahweh on their foreheads. Now, what does that tell us? Well, that tells us that they belong to God. And they are sealed by God. They belong to God. And guess what? You are sealed by God, and you belong to God if you're a Christian. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, note, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You know, when you become a Christian, the Bible says that God gives you his Holy Spirit. And he has given you his Holy Spirit that you might be sealed by his Holy Spirit. That sealing of the Holy Spirit speaks of ownership. It speaks of protection. It speaks of the fact that God owns you and you are no longer your own. When you become a Christian and you give your life to Christ, you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul said, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. What's that? The blood of Jesus purchased us. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You no longer belong to you. No longer your way. You know, Frank Sinatra, he did that song. I did it my way. For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. No, it's not your way. It's God's way. 
You no longer own yourself. You're not the captain of your soul. You're Charles in charge. Do what you want and the way you want to do it and how you want to do it. No. Now is, Lord, what do you want for my life? God, how do you want to use my life? It's not about my way anymore. God, it's about your way and what you want to do because I've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I've been bought by him and now he owns me and I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. God owns us. It's written on their heads, on their foreheads, the name of the Father. Hey, I find it interesting that they don't have a B on their foreheads for baptism. Did you notice that? And they don't have a P on their foreheads for Presbyterian. And they don't have a C on their foreheads for Calvary Chapel or Catholic or an E for the established church. They have their father's name written on their foreheads. You see, all this denominational stuff, that we have here on earth among us earth dwellers. That's not what heaven looks like. Heaven doesn't look that way. You know, when you get to the pearly gates, the pearly gates, and you walk up to Peter. I don't know why Peter is always at the gate. You notice that? He must be the bouncer or something, you know. It's like, you ain't coming in here, man. You're out. Peter, big, rugged, rough guy, you know. So you walk up to Peter, and you say, hey, Peter, are there any Baptists in there? And he says, no, no, no Baptists here. Peter, are you Presbyterians? No, no Presbyterians. Lutheran? No, no Lutherans. Any Pentecostals in there? No, no Pentecostals in there. And if they were, they'd be shouting in the back. But there are, we haven't heard anything. So, uh, no, there must not be any Pentecostals in there. Oh, what about the, the, the black heaven? Is there a black heaven, Peter? No, not all black people are in there. Oh, what about the white heaven, Peter? Is any white people, all white people in there? No, no white people in there. Oh, Peter, are there any Christians in there? Oh, yeah, there are plenty of them. Why? Because the only people in heaven are those who are sealed by the Holy Spirit, those who belong to the Father. It's not all this denominational segregation going on in heaven. The fact is, if you are born again believer, you will be in heaven with brothers and sisters who are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Heaven is made up of people who have the Father's name stamped on them and not a denomination or a family. And so we see here these 144,000 sealed servants, they make it through the tribulation because God saw them through. God saw them through the most difficult time, the most morally dark time in the history of the world. And then notice 144,000 sealed saints. Did you note this? They sing a new song that no one else knows. Can you imagine the choir in heaven? Can you imagine, uh, or in the, in the reign of Christ, 144,000 voice choir? And that's a lot of singing, y'all. Can you imagine that number in the choir? 
Now remember these 144,000, as I said, we met them in chapter 7. We see them here again in chapter 14. This 144,000 have came through, have made it through the tribulation, and they maintain their, their purity. Did you see that in verse 4? These are the ones who are not defiled with women. They are virgins. These, these are those who, who there's no deceit found in their mouth. In other words, as they're sharing the gospel during the tribulation, they only speak truth. They never lie. These guys don't lie. They tell the truth. They made it through the tribulation. And going through a time of tribulation, notice that they sang a new song. They sang a new song. They could sing in their trial. Why, Rodney? Because they trusted the Lord during their trial. They trusted Jesus. And it's in their trial that, that they produce this new song or 144,000? Oh, that's a symphony. Their trial produced a symphony. Now, there's a good illustration of this. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25, you might know the story. It's a great story. Look it up in your own time. Paul and Silas are in prison. And prison in Bible days was different than prison today. They didn't have cable TV in prison in Bible days. Say amen if you knew that. Of course you did. And they didn't have, you know, nice clean spaces, cable TV, fitness center, you know, file a complaint with the ACLU if a piece of equipment breaks down. I want my rights. No, that wasn't it. They were in a stinking, smelling, rat-infested, dark dungeon with rats nibbling on their toes. And we find out from that story that in the midnight hour, Paul and Silas were singing unto the Lord. And while they were singing, while they were singing the symphony unto God, guess what happened? The prison began to shake and the doors opened up and they were free. Oh, what's that tell us? Listen, in your trial and in your circumstance, if you will sing to the Lord, you'll be set free also. You will. Now, there's a lot of books written, a lot of videotape series, and a lot of books, The Power of Praise. And they say, if you sing, your prison doors will open. Yes, I agree with that. There's a power in praise, they say. I agree with that. But I think that it's important to note that that's not why Paul and Silas were singing, they weren't singing to manipulate the master. They were singing because the Lord was with them. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, they were in the fiery furnace, you know, and, 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 the, and the king and his men looked in, and what did they see? They saw four walking in the fire, and Jesus was with them. And so Paul and Silas, they are singing because God is with them. They weren't singing to get God's presence. They were singing because God's presence was already there. And they sang a song in the midnight hour. And I am so convinced to you this morning that if you want to produce a symphony in your heart, it is important for you to, number one, still see and know that God is on the throne. Amen. You know, just because you had a problem, 
It doesn't mean God has fallen off the throne. He hasn't. And secondly, know that you're sealed by God. He knows, and he's able to keep you. Notice these 144,000 were not defiled with women, for they were virgins. That speaks of chastity. These kept their chastity. They kept their virginity. So these witnesses, I think it's important to note, weren't married. They kept themselves from anything that would compromise their purity before Jesus. They wholly followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were faithful to Jesus. Their love belonged to Jesus and Jesus alone. I like that because I think this is an encouragement here to those of you who are single this morning. Do you know that in your singleness, you have the the, the best capacity to be used of the Lord? You know, it's cool to be single. I mean, not that I want to be single again. Don't misunderstand me. I love being married and been married 20 years. And when, we, when you guys leave, everybody go to the bookstore and tell my wife, I said, I love being married. Tell her that. Brownie points for me. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch, in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.